It can be really hard for us to relax at night. We're always thinking about covering crime. But the good news is our wonderful new sponsor, Via, has a terrific product that helps us unwind. Via Hemp has a wide range of terrific gummies of both the THC and THC-free varieties. They can help you with focus, recovery, sleep, creativity, or just plain enjoyment. These products legally ship to all 50 states. I really liked Zen in particular. This is a yummy blueberry option that lets you catch a chill sleep with help from CBN and CBD. It's really helped me turn off my brain and settle down for the night. I also got a shout out Flow State. It helped me feel energized throughout the day. Like not to brag, but I got a lot done. I'm talking about doing several interviews and editing a whole show from start to finish, not to mention jumping on some of the latest filings in the cases we cover. It really made me feel sharp and ready to tackle any challenge. I couldn't recommend this more. Via has so many great gummy options to choose from. Everything from guava berry low dose that allows you to microdose THC to the chill-inducing Delta 9 gummy dreams. Head to viahemp.com and use code MSHEET to receive 15% off and one free sample of their award-winning gummies. That's viahemp.com and use code MSHEET at checkout. Please support our show and tell them we sent you. Enhance your every day with Via Hemp. Again, if you're 21 and over, you can get 15% off plus a free pack of award-winning gummies with our exclusive code, msheet at viahemp.com. That's V-I-I-A-H-E-M-P dot com. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. A few weeks ago, Kevin and I came across a story written by Stephanie Warsmith and Paula Schleiss in the Akron Beacon Journal about a 1991 cold case the murder of Roderick Clemens, an assistant manager at a church's chicken in Akron, Ohio. Paula, we knew, also had a podcast called Ohio Mysteries. We decided to call them up and ask them about Roderick's case. Here is Stephanie. Roderick, um, this was January 13th, 1991. Roderick uh, got dropped off at, at work. He worked at the Church's Chicken on uh, Copley Road here, which is on the west side of Akron. And 
Um, he didn't have a car. And so he relied on his mom for transportation or sometimes the manager of the restaurant would would give him rides. So he uh, works his shift um, at churches. And then toward the end of the night, um, you know, things are pretty slow. He tells the other employees they can take off. And so then he is uh, sweeping up and, um, you know, counting the, the till for the day um, and he had the, uh, the front, the, the doors closed and we don't know exactly what happened here, but somehow, obviously he, you know, someone, uh, got in, um, and then, um, you know, stole the money and shot him in the head execution style in the, uh, women's bathroom of the restaurant. So then um, about, uh, I believe it was about 1130, then the manager who planned to give him a ride home that night, um, you know, comes in. He can't get in the front door of the store. It's glass paned windows, uh, but sees that the back door is wide open. And so then he goes in and finds Roderick um, in the uh, the bathroom um, lying there. And he, he is uh, unfortunately already dead. Um, there's no no help for him, even though they call the paramedics and he tries to tries to do what he can to help him. And here's Paula. And there was a second bullet hole in the wall of the store. And one theory is that the killer, the robber, may have waved the gun or even fired. Um, well, I guess the door would have had to be open, but perhaps the, the killer had waved the gun at him, got him to open the door out of fear for his life, and at some point fired a shot into the wall, maybe to express how serious he was about, you know, doing what he was going to be doing. And then the other shot, you know, is the one that killed Roderick. But there, yeah, there are some theories about what that other bullet hole might have meant. And also Roderick had told his mom, he wanted to transfer from that store. He said there were a lot of shady people hanging around. He didn't feel safe. He had actually transferred to that store one year earlier because it was closer to his home. And then he decided that was a bad idea, but he hadn't actually requested the transfer yet. And so one theory is if he already knew there were shady people hanging around there, even if he weren't friends with them or didn't know them, it might have been somebody that he could have identified because they obviously already had been hanging around that area or people had been hanging around that area that could have been the potential killer. My name is Anya Kane. And I'm Kevin Greenlee. And this is The Murder Sheet, a weekly true crime podcast. Anya and I connected over the Burger Chef murders, a 1978 unsolved case involving the killings of four young restaurant employees. Now we're looking to track restaurant homicides. To help us understand the patterns of these crimes, we created a spreadsheet of nearly a thousand eatery-related killings, the Murder Sheet. We'll be drawing on that data throughout season one to give you a deep dive into undercovered crimes. We don't just rely on skimming the headlines. We dive into these cases to bring you in-depth coverage. We're the murder sheet, and this is The Church's Chicken Murder. Justice for Roderick Clemens. 
Um, well, yeah, we're super excited to talk to both of you today about this, you know, this this Clemens case. Uh, to start off with, Paula and Stephanie, maybe uh, you could just both tell us a bit about your backgrounds as journalists and sort of like your careers and kind of take us through that. Well, so my name is uh, Stephanie Warsmith, um, and like you, I write under my maiden name because I had been at the Beacon uh, for quite some time when I got married. And uh, frankly, it's a little bit of a cooler byline, although don't tell my husband I said that. So, um, but I've been there for uh, for 23 years and I've covered just about everything at, at the Beacon at one time or the other. Um, and my current assignment is covering courts. And um, Paula and I are, are, are very, very good friends. And so we had collaborated on a couple of different kind of cold case uh, type of stories before she retired. And so then I said, hey, we need to do some crossovers with um, with Ohio Mysteries and and kind of combine, you know, the stories and the podcast and and, you know, storytelling in different ways. And so then we came up with this idea for Unresolved, which is um, a new series. We're trying to do one a month looking at an unsolved homicide or a missing persons case from our area that dates back roughly um, 10 years or more. That's kind of the cutoff that we've done. And it gives us an excuse to continue to work together. Yeah, Stephanie is one of my best friends, so it's it's fun to be able to continue doing that. Um, I'm Paula Schleiss. I wrote for the Beacon Journal for over 30 years. Um, I covered everything from education to business. I guess my favorite style of writing was always narrative, so I was always looking for feature-type stories where I could use that narrative style. Um, and when I retired and my nephew, Steve, a Akron uh, Metro bus driver, invited me to do a podcast, I thought that's cool because in retirement, I could continue writing narrative stories. And so we um, started doing that. And then when Stephanie asked about doing a crossover with the Beacon Journal, I thought that's great. I can, you know, stick with my journalism roots and still, you know, be creating content for the, the podcast. And, and tell us more about the Beacon Journal, sort of where that stands in like Akron's media market. So we are um, a large daily newspaper, still home delivered every day here in, in Akron um, and uh, still uh, reaching, I think, over 100,000 people on Sundays, um, trying to build up our, our digital reach which uh, means that we're trying to do a lot of things like, you know, doing more podcasts and, and things like that to try to get more people to subscribe online. And um, and so, you know, we are located south of Cleveland and, and north of Columbus and are owned by Gannett, which is now the largest uh, newspaper chain in the country. We really admired this piece and the idea of covering cold cases. I was wondering if you could discuss why the two of you feel it's important to cover cold cases. In December, there was a case in the Columbus area where the news station covered a cold case. And somebody saw that and said, that sounds exactly like what happened to my cousin. And they caught her murder. So she called the network. They called the sheriff's department. They did some DNA testing. 
And in three months, they solved that murder. It was the same guy. He was a serial killer. And if it hadn't been out in the public, if they hadn't done that case, they wouldn't have caught that. There was another case in Ohio just about a year and a half ago, again, where somebody uh, who was viewing a TV show, you know, had the missing piece and solved the puzzle. So I think that's, for me, that's the holy grail. When you can do a cold case and, you know, get evoke a memory from somebody who might not even realize that they have that piece, um, that's the holy grail. And so I think it's it's worth it to keep these out in the public. And also just from a, you know, from kind of a personal standpoint, I really like the idea of not forgetting some of these victims. You know, we do cold cases that go back 100 years and some of them are just heartbreaking. And even though I know they, they'll probably never be solved, I like making people remember, you know, these victims and their stories whenever I can. I try really hard to find uh, personal information about people so that they're not just victims, they're actual people. And you get to know, you know, their likes and their dislikes and, and, you know, a little bit about their history. And I really like bringing them kind of back to life for people. That's important for me. And just to piggyback on that, I, what I would say is that, you know, if we can, if we can put a cold case out there that helps solve one even, you know, just one of these homicides or missing persons cases or writing about, then we will feel such a great sense of accomplishment because behind every one of these cases are family members and friends who still wonder, you know, what happened? Who's responsible for this? And if we can, you know, jog somebody's memory, um, you know, or get the police to, to um, you know, dig up a case that hasn't been looked at for 20 years and they decide to do some testing that results in, you know, something positive happening, then then that's really our goal. And, and so we'll see if we can accomplish that. Knock on what we haven't so far, but we'd love, love to at some point. Tell us about um, how the Clemens case came on your radar and how you both realized this is one we definitely have to include in this package. This case always stuck with me. I remembered when it happened back in 1991. I was uh, writing for The Beacon. And it really struck me because the the deaths of Black men living in the inner city usually do not get the same kind of attention as you know, little kids or families in the suburbs, that kind of thing. And this one was like, here's this young black man. He's probably got all the temptations of the inner city, you know, the potential for drugs, for gangs. And he's trying to get past that. He's got a job where he's an assistant manager at a restaurant. He's living with his mom and helping her out. And when you hear about him just being so coldly executed, in a bathroom of a restaurant when he didn't need to be. The killer got the money. He didn't have to kill him. It just really touched me. And I never forgot it. And when Stephanie said she wanted to do a cold case series with the Akron Beacon Journal, uh, I remembered this one. And I said, this is, this is one I think I'd like to do. In terms of your reporting process for uh, both of you going back and revisiting that case, and I mean, getting this excellent source in the detective who 
is currently continuing to work on it. You know, tell us about your reporting process. Just walk us through that, I guess. Well, we we have uh, fortunately um, formed a really good relationship with uh, a couple of the uh, detectives in the Akron Police Department who are very, very supportive of, um, you know, our effort here to, you know, take another look at these cold cases. And so uh, Detective uh, Pasilich and Lieutenant Whitten, we, we met with them about this um, and, uh, you know, learned that they actually had a piece of evidence that they were going to test that had never been tested in this case which um, is, I thought, I thought was really interesting. They decided to do testing of his, um, Roderick's um, pants that he was wearing because the pockets were inside out. And so that said that likely the killer, in addition to, you know, running off with the money bag, also decided to look in his pockets to see if he had anything worth stealing. And so they thought that there was a chance, uh, albeit very slim, that there could be some DNA on those pockets. So they sent that off for testing. And unfortunately, there was not any DNA. But, you know, I we thought that that was really interesting that that they decided to do that testing and see if they... Um, you know, we're able to 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 get a new lead in this case that really is, has uh, not had any attention for, for quite some time. A weight loss journey can feel like a lonely struggle, but it doesn't have to be. For so many of us, lifestyle changes like deciding to lose weight, adopting a nutritious diet and taking up fun exercises are all about putting our own health and wellness first. But it can be really hard to know where to begin or how to keep the weight off once we've seen some progress. Quick fixes like soup diets and juice cleanses are unsustainable. There's a much better way to embark on this journey that over 200,000 people have already chosen. We're talking about the Roe Body Program. Here's how it works. Roe gives you access to one of the most popular weight loss shots on the market. Their Roe Body Program then sets up a comprehensive weight loss program tailored to your specific lifestyle, health status, and goals. In addition to the weekly shot, you get one-on-one coaching with a registered nurse. That can help you adopt and stick with lifestyle changes like exercise routines and nutritious diets. It's a comprehensive program that sees participants lose 15 to 20% of their weight in a year on average. But the real benefit is that you keep that weight off. This is weight loss at its most sustainable. With Roe, the average weight loss is 15 to 20% of your weight in one year in conjunction with healthy lifestyle changes. BMI and other eligibility criteria apply. Go to roco slash msheet. Sign up today and you'll pay just $99 for your first month and $145 a month after that. Medication costs are separate. Go to roco slash msheet. That's roco slash msheet. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. 
With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. I'll, I'll say, I mean, I, I was really impressed with you guys being able to cultivate that relationship with the police and also um, their willingness to be open and saying, here's what we're trying, here's what we're doing, here's what we're working on. We're going to be open about that. Here in Indiana, we can say we're not always, you know, used to that level of uh, candor and, uh, you know, transparency from from some of the police departments. So, I mean, is that in your both of your careers, is that something that's typical with the Akron police or, or is this kind of a special circumstance because it's a cold case? I'm just curious about that. Well, I would say that it kind of varies. Um, and uh, Paul and I are actually working on a, a story that will run later this summer that involves um, uh, Berlin Reservoir, which is in Portage County near here. And there were um, three cases in which um, bodies were were dumped there, you know, homicide cases. And so we're trying to reach out to the different police uh, departments that were involved. As you can imagine, there's several of them that are, that are involved in that. And I know we, we got one and we haven't been able to get another. So I think it, it greatly varies whether you, um, you know, are able to, to get them to agree. I know Paula's going to try to find a retired detective who worked really doggedly on that case and, and see if, um, I think there was a female detective, right, Paula? Yeah, there was a female detective who solved the mystery of some bones that were found on a site. She was a sheriff's deputy in Portage County, and nobody had been able to figure out who these bones belonged to for like a decade, and she figured it out. Paula mentioned that this story stuck in her mind, and she said maybe the coverage of the deaths of men in color in inner cities didn't get as much coverage as they should. I'm just curious, can you tell us what inner city Akron was like in 1991? Was there a lot of crime? You know, what, what was it like? Yeah, I think it's probably very similar to today. Drugs are rampant, drug dealing, um, petty theft, breaking and entering, um, gangs. In 1991, Absolutely, it would have been the same. Um, I can't, you know, I, I never lived in the inner city, so I, I I feel a little weird talking about it because I don't have the personal experience of it. It's just my suburban outsider looking at in my experience with the Beacon Journal and, and covering stories there. And so when I heard that story about Roderick, I really pictured him as a guy who probably had to balk his friends who were maybe giving him an easy way out. You know, hey, we could deal these drugs. Hey, we could go break into this house. And I, in my mind, I pictured somebody who was just resisting um, what, you know, all of the vices that are very common in um, poverty-stricken neighborhoods. And he was doing it. I mean, he was, and I'm sure he wasn't making a ton of money, but he was trying to stay on the straight and narrow and get there. I mean, he could have been manager of the store one day. And, you know, that's heard that he was almost done. He had an arrangement with a store's owner that he would um, come and pick him up most nights and take him home so his mom wouldn't have to come out and do it. One of the things that I thought was really uh, touching when we when we researched this case was how Roderick had told his his mother that he felt unsafe working at this restaurant. 
um, because of, you know, the area that it was in and, and some of the people who um, hung out in, in that area and that he was thinking of requesting a transfer. Um, but unfortunately, you know, he was killed before that could happen. And I just thought that that was, that was really sad because as Paula said, you know, this was a young man who was trying to do the right thing and stay on the straight and narrow and, um, you know, was in very much in a, you know, inner city area and, um, and lost his life. So, um, the other thing I would mention is, uh, Paula dug up some interesting information at the time of Roderick's murder. There were a lot of, um, retail, um, employees who were being killed in robberies in, in the Akron area. And not long after this, they passed legislation that required, um, had different requirements for businesses that stayed open late, that they have more than one person there, that they install safety glass, that they have, they train their attorneys or their attorneys, their customers on um, how to react if they are robbed. And um, and so I, I thought that was interesting. There were so many murders happening like Roderick's that they said, hey, you know, businesses, if you're going to be open late, you need to take these steps. Did those uh, new laws or regulations help uh, decrease the amount of uh, deaths of retail workers in Akron? Paul, I don't know if you, I, I don't have any numbers or anything, but I mean, I think that that they helped somewhat, at least. Um, um, I know when you go into different uh, smaller businesses in the city now, you do see the, the glass up and, and things like that. So I would think that it, it may have helped to deter somewhat. Um, not to say that we don't ever have it. Um, there was a, um, a murder that when we were talking to the detectives about um, in the, the, the Roderick Clemens case, they talked about how there was a guy who was shot and killed at a pizza shop um, not that long ago. And it was very similar to this one in some ways because he had given him the money but he still shot, shot him, you know, shot him and killed him. And it's one of those like Roderick's where you say, why, you know, you, you've already got the money. Why do you have to take that extra step and, and, you know, fire, fire the, the bullet that takes the person's life. One thing I wanted to throw out there, and maybe just in case you guys get a tip or in case uh, the police get a tip, I mean, and of course, you know, I don't know if any, I guess I'd be curious if any suspect, came up in this at all over the years because I I know that from our experience sometimes inside job robberies where it's a, either a recently fired employee or an employee who's not happy at the restaurant tend to be more violent than you'd expect because witnesses recognize them and there's a need to eliminate the witness therefore um so I was just I, mean, I guess my general I'm throwing that out there but I'm also just generally any names that came up that or, you know, people, Any suspects, suspects yeah. Well, unfortunately, there were no witnesses. Nobody like saw anybody running. There was no um, surveillance footage or anything like that. The detectives told us that they, you know, got a few tips early on and, and looked into a few things. But, you know, nothing just nothing really um, came of that. And but they did think that it was possible that. 
um, he knew whoever it was because they had a policy. The employees had a policy that after hours, they wouldn't let anybody in after the store was closed. And here he obviously let this person in. Now, whether that was a person with a gun who threatened to shoot or something like that and, and forced their way in, or if it was somebody who he invited in and then they decided to rob him, you know, not, we're not sure about that, but the detectives did seem to think that it was, it may have been somebody who knew, you know, I don't know if that would be a former employee, if that would be a friend, if it would be somebody he knew from the neighborhood, because this wasn't far from where Roderick and his mom lived. So, you know, they did think that it could have been, you know, someone known to him. I was really struck in the story. You had some quotes from uh, Roderick's mother about how this crime and the fact that it was never solved uh, affected her. I, I, can you talk about that at all? Uh, you know, I've got her quote up here. So let me read it to you so that you sure. can use it. Um, yeah, a year after Roderick's death, his mom was just so frustrated that nobody could catch her son's killer. And she expressed what her life was like to a reporter. And she said, I pray every day and every night they catch who did it. They didn't just have to take his life like that. It's hard to explain. You're on pins and needles. You don't know if the killer is out there. You don't know if he's going to come after you. And then she talked about her life without him. She said, it really doesn't get better. The only thing I can do is sympathize with other people who have had this happen. When you lose someone like that, you never get them back. Don't nobody know unless they've been there. The only thing I can tell anybody, it hurts. I, it, I, how do you go on like that? It's very hard. It's, and they seem so close, no you know, like there are no he was living with her. He was kind of helping out with this job. It's just, it's very, it's tragic. And you can't even blame anyone. You can't even be like, this is the person who took my son. It's like, it's an unknown. We, we're curious. Yeah, I don't yeah. think we can underestimate that term closure is used a lot. You know, people want closure. I don't, unless you're in that position, I don't think you realize how important that really is to have an answer. We've written about a couple of cases where it's now like the second generation of family that is hoping for answers. You know, the, the parents are gone and now it's, it's, you know, the kids, the siblings of whoever was taken who have taken up that, you know, calls and are trying to keep the memory alive and try to drum up interest in, in solving the cases. And we've had several like that. Um, and there's even been, you know, nieces and nephews of people who were taken who never met them who will get emotional and cry and sob, you know, talking about, you know, how this person, um, you know, they never got to meet them. You know, I never got to meet my aunt. I never got to meet my uncle. Um, and how this, the, the effect that this had even on a third generation removed from them. Um, so, you know, I think, um, I think these, uh, these violent deaths, especially uh, without that closure that Paula was talking about, really have an effect on, on a lot of the family. Yeah, it's like that inherited trauma almost of, of losing somebody going through generations. It's really interesting. Um, I was curious for you both, you know, um, what has been the reaction so far to this package and, the, and this series where you're shining a new light on some of these cases that you don't want to be forgotten? Have people written and have people like sort of um, given you any feedback or anything? 
Yeah, we've really gotten a lot of response. Um, our last, the case on Roderick, I got um, uh, several uh, more emails from people who, you know, say, can you take a look at my dad's case? Can you take a look at my uncle's case? And, and that kind of thing. So um, we're kind of keeping a running list of cases and, um, you know, we're trying to do some that, that people have written us about and said, I'd really like to know what happened with this case. Um, and then there's some that like um, the Akron detectives mentioned a case that we're going to be doing. I think that's going to run in August. And those are the detectives who are working so well with us. So we really wanted to do that case. And then, then there's some that we just really want to do. Um, the Clemens one is one, um, and then the 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 case I worked uh, that I mentioned earlier involving um, three different homicide cases um, where the bodies were all found in one location and are all unsolved is another one that we just really wanted to do. So we're kind of doing some of all of that. Um, but I would say we've gotten, you know, a very positive reaction from from uh, our readers and and local police. Um, and some people are just kind of crime junkies and, and enjoy, you know, reading these these types of stories. Yeah, they can also go to their favorite podcast app and just call up Ohio Mysteries and look for any episodes that start with the word unresolved. And that's the series we're doing with the Beacon. Um, Roderick's case would be under that. And, you know, I'm, I'm sure it's just a super long shot. But if anybody would have any information on this or any unsolved crime in Akron, uh, the Detectives Bureau is 330 330- Three seven five two four nine zero. If anybody wants to read our package on Roderick Clemens, they can go to our website, which is uh, beaconjournal.com. And then um, there's also a link to uh, the podcast that Paula did that accompanies the story as well. And then there's links at the bottom of the story for the other. This uh, The Clemens uh, story was our fourth uh, that we've done in the unresolved um, uh series so far and uh, we've got several more in progress so more to come we want to thank stephanie and paula for taking the time to talk with us about their work we found it gratifying to learn that it is possible for police to work with press and podcasters in order to help forward investigations into cold cases we wish that sort of teamwork was far more common And remember, if you have information on Roderick's case, please call the Akron Police Department Detectives Bureau at 330-375-2490. We've also included links to the work that Stephanie and Paula have done in our show notes. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Murder Sheet. As always, thanks to Kevin Tyler Greenlee, who composed the music for The Murder Sheet and who you can find on the web at kevintg.com. To keep up with the latest on the Murder Sheet, please make sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Murder Sheet, and on Facebook at MSheet Podcast, or by searching Murder Sheet. If you enjoy listening to the Murder Sheet, please leave us a five-star review to help us gain more exposure. And send tips, suggestions, and feedback to murdersheet at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening. <laughs>